This morning we want to begin by, by talking about a tunnel vision. Now, when we talk about tunnel vision, there's a couple different ways that we could go. We could talk about what happens to our physical eyesight, because for some folks, I learned this week, tunnel vision is a real thing that happens to our eyes, where because of a variety of ailments, a variety of things going on, it, things become blurry that aren't right immediately in front of us. And so tunnel vision can be the inability to see what's just off to the side of our vision. We can see with clarity what's in front of us, but off to the side, maybe not so much. And so the image of... Uh, you know, is somebody emerging from, you're in a tunnel, physically in a tunnel, driving out, and you can't actually see what's on the sides, that, that might be true for some people, although maybe it's a bit more blurry than just you can't see, but that might be true for some folks with our physical vision. Now, usually when we talk about tunnel vision, though, we aren't talking about physical vision, are we? Rather, we tend to be talking about somebody's inability to, to see or to comprehend uh, something that is outside of their immediate experience. And, you know, this, this happens to all of us, and for good reason. I mean, we only know the things that we know, right? And we don't know the things that we don't know, and we usually tend to surround ourselves by, by influences and, and voices that, that keep our, you know, minds and our attention uh, focused on certain things, and we kind of tend to exclude other things. And it can be true when it comes to our conversations about politics or our beliefs about politics or entertainment or um, any number of issues or relationships. Uh, we, we only know what we know, and sometimes we lose sight of what we don't, and we can have a form of tunnel vision. And in the process, we can miss out on some really good things. We can miss out on some really good people because we just don't have an ability to see you know, off to the side with any sense of clarity. And in a sense, we can have tunnel vision when it comes to our approach to God as well, too. And in the process, we can miss out on some really good things. And this can be true for those of us who are skeptical about faith, we can have tunnel vision. And for those of us who maybe feel more secure in our faith, we might likewise have a, have a form of tunnel vision too. Well, in our teaching time this morning, we are going to be looking at the ascension of Jesus as found in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is working with his disciples, um, and he is challenging the tunnel vision of his followers because he doesn't want them to miss out on something that is good. And so he's working with them to work through their tunnel vision. Now, in Acts chapter 1, it's written by, by Luke, who writes the Gospel of Luke. Acts chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus, over a period of 40 days, spent time with his followers, giving them many convincing proofs that he was alive. You know, Jesus really wanted to make sure that, that his followers weren't thinking that this was some sort of figment of their um, collective imagination. And so he was there with them, eating with them, being with them, giving them convincing proofs that he was alive, because he didn't want them to think, did that really happen? No, it was, it was a real thing. And in addition, in this time, Jesus takes time to talk to his followers about the kingdom of God and talk about the Holy Spirit. And in response to this, his disciples ask a question in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, that illustrates how despite the fact that they spent so much time with Jesus, that their understanding about what Jesus was talking about wasn't quite there. That they were suffering from tunnel vision that keeps them from understanding what it is that Jesus is talking about. Verse 6 says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, the thing about this question is that given what the disciples know, this question makes sense. Again, they only know what they know, right? 
And within the context of what they knew, they had developed some conclusions about the kingdom of God and about Jesus that, if left unchecked, would have caused them to miss out on what Jesus was doing and what their role was in what Jesus was doing. And so let's read the, the whole conversation here from Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After, that, after, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, we're going to look at, at three, three things this morning. And the first point that we want to explore this morning is that we have tunnel vision when our view of what God is doing leaves other people out. Jesus' disciples, when, they're taught, when they ask Jesus this question, ask him, you know, Lord, are, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And the way that this question is worded tells us that the disciples are thinking in their minds about a kingdom uh, that, about a kingdom that looked like a political or a territorial kingdom that you might find on a map. That despite everything that Jesus had talked, about, talked to them about, that is what they were looking for. And we can understand why. I mean, traditionally, when we think of kingdom, we think of something that you can find on a map. And I'm going to show you a picture right here of a kingdom that, that likely Jesus' followers had in mind. This is the kingdom uh, that existed for about 100 years just before Jesus, what Jesus was born. It was a kingdom of a Jewish kingdom that was born out of a revolution and where the Jewish people you know, rose up and threw off their oppressors and that for 100 years, they had their own kingdom. And it looked about like this. And for Jesus' followers, they would have had this kingdom in mind, thinking this was good. We weren't, un we weren't oppressed anymore. We were, running, we were our own people with our own government and our own kings. It was good. This is what we want to go back to. And so this is in the memory, the collective memory of Jesus' disciples as they're thinking about reestablishing some form of free territory, uh, free from Roman, Roman rule. And it was for them and for their people. But Jesus wants them to see that the kingdom of God is bigger than what they have in mind. It's bigger than any sort of physical territory. And it's bigger than just one specific people group. Instead, and instead of playing into their assumptions, Jesus talks about, he turns, and he, throughout this whole thing that we're talking about, he doesn't play into their assumptions, that he turns and he talks about them receiving power from the Holy Spirit. Now, power, receiving power it sounds like a good thing. I mean, pretty much all of us in some way, shape, or form want power from time to time. But the power that the Holy Spirit gives is different. The Spirit's power is about growing the kingdom of God. And Jesus wants his followers to understand that the kingdom of God is not just for people like them. It's not just for people who are from their culture, who share their, their beliefs, who share their, uh, the, the, are from their country. Rather, the, the power that they would receive would send them out towards other people who are not from their circles. And so Jesus talks about Jerusalem and Judea. That's them. That's their people. 
But then he talks about Samaria. And the Samaritans, well, those are the people that mm, maybe we think it's okay to not like. You know, we, we have nur- the people that have, they've nurtured an animosity towards, a judgment. It's okay to look down on those people. And then the ends of the earth, well, that's just everybody. So Jesus is talking about, I'm going to send you out towards your people, the people you don't like, and well, just everybody. See, the kingdom of God is not limited to people who, who, whose interests and ambitions or experiences are like ours. Rather, Jesus wants us to see that the kingdom of God is bigger than people who are like us. Now, my hope is that most of us here are nodding and saying, yeah, yeah, we would agree because we've talked about this. The kingdom of God is bigger than our circles. But unfortunately, this seems to be a lesson that we need to relearn over and over again because it seems that the human heart has an ability to to develop ideas of superiority and hatred and even cultivate violence towards other people who aren't like us. And if we've been paying attention to the news in the last week, we are aware that last weekend a young white man uh, walked into a grocery store in a predominantly black neighborhood in Buffalo, New York, and he killed 10 people, completely racially motivated. There's been an attitude and a mindset developed that sees other people as unworthy. And so on the one hand, we clearly can call that out and say that's racist and that's wrong. And on the other hand, we also have to identify the, the patterns of thinking that, that develop and nurture that kind of response. And as much as we might want to think that kind of thinking doesn't, doesn't exist among followers of Jesus or Christians, it, it seems to, it, it does. And in fact, in some circles, Christian churches have nurtured that pattern of thinking. And we need to call that out. And so we need to be regularly reminded of what Jesus is saying here. That the kingdom of God is much more inclusive than what we tend to assume. It's much more inclusive than the boundaries that we seem to draw between people. That as Jesus says, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that he's erasing those boundaries. And he's challenging us to be rethinking our view of other people that we might be tempted to think that we're superior to. Or even if we don't think that we're superior to, it's the people that we might cringe if they stood shoulder to shoulder with us. And so Jesus challenges us to remember that the kingdom of God is for everyone. And that as his followers, we're to be uh, propelled outward to be with those folks, anyone. Now, the second point for us to reflect on this morning is that we can have tunnel vision when we don't see the role that we have to play in what God is doing. We can have tunnel vision when we don't see the role that we have to play in what God is doing. And I'm going to start by showing a picture of our son Silas on here. Uh, When Silas was a newborn, and when Silas was born, this was taken a few days after he was born, and we were still in the hospital because we spent some extra time in the hospital making sure things were good. And in that time in the hospital, you know, one of the benefits, if you can say there were benefits, one of the benefits was there was a team of nurses that were there that just kind of took it upon themselves to change diapers and bathe and to show us how to do that. And then as a new dad, that was great because I don't know how my wife was feeling, but the first time I held my son, I thought, oh my goodness, he's so small and so fragile, I'm going to break him. And then, then having these nurses who were very experienced show us how to do this, how to change a diaper, how to bathe him, was very empowering. It helped me recognize and grow in my abilities. Well, there was one night where I was sitting there beside Silas, probably all by, my, all by myself. I think Michelle was getting some rest, and that was a good thing. And as I was there, it became apparent, Silas needs a diaper change. 
And so I, I got up, I looked around, and I thought, who's going to do this diaper change as I'm looking for the nurses that seem to come around? And then it hit me. It's not their job. Well, it kind of is their job, but it really is not their job. Whose job is it? It's my job. It's my role as dad to be there to change that diaper. And they showed me what to do. I'd learned how to do it, and now was my time to embrace that role and to do it. You know, throughout Jesus' ministry, he'd been showing his disciples how to engage in the work of the kingdom. He taught them about it, and at least twice he sent them out and said, go do it on your own, and then come back and tell me about it. But I think in the back of his disciples' mind, they likely thought that Jesus was always going to be there, that Jesus was going to be the person taking the lead. And in fact, their question that we read about in verse 6 seems to put the emphasis on Jesus. Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? But Jesus' response is about turning their attention to realize that that job was now part of their job, was their job. See, the kingdom of God is about joining the realms of heaven and earth together. These two previously uh, seemingly disconnected realms bringing them together. And this is beautifully illustrated uh, at Christmas when we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus as, as God comes and takes on flesh and we celebrate that at Christmas at the birth of Jesus. And again, and this passage here is illustrated in the, in, in the ascension as the fully resurrected human Jesus ascends to heaven. These two previously seemingly disconnected realms are brought together and forever connected because of Jesus. And within this new reality, Jesus partners with his followers to grow his kingdom. And the good news, though, is it isn't just left to us. That he gives the Holy Spirit uh, to his followers so that we receive the power of the Holy Spirit to go and engage the mission that he has tasked us for. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about a kingdom expanding, what kind of comes to mind is what we see playing out between Russia and Ukraine right now, where there's one, uh, one you know, country through military force is stepping in and saying, we want this territory, and they have soldiers on the ground to make it happen. That's not what the kingdom of God is like, not at all. In fact, uh, the Holy Spirit creates witnesses, not soldiers. And I think that's a key thing to take note of. The Holy Spirit creates witnesses, not soldiers. And what witnesses do is witnesses tell their story to others. For Jesus' followers, what they were to do was they were to talk about their experience with Jesus and to talk about that with other people. And that certainly would have included their experience with, with the resurrected Jesus, but it also would have included the things that they taught and the things that they had experienced while they were with Jesus. You know, as we think about our role as followers of Jesus and what it is that God is doing, we need to recognize that we have a role. You know, it's easy to think that, that maybe that's for other people or to diminish the role that we have, but Jesus wants us to embrace our role as empowered witnesses in what he is doing. Now, at another time when, when Christians talked about witnessing, um, what came to mind, or at least in my experience, what came to mind was that you had, there was like a prepared, some prepared talking points you had to kind of memorize, and maybe a little speech, and there were some like little pieces of paper that you'd take with you, and, 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 you, and you were supposed to go and take this and start up a conversation. Usually it felt like it was a cold conversation with somebody who was unsuspecting of what you were about to talk to them about. Maybe you'd knock on their door, maybe you'd ambush somebody in a street corner. I don't know if that was actually the intention, but that's how it felt like to me, is that you were jumping somebody with Jesus. You're like, you aren't here. I know you're just doing your grocery shopping, but here's Jesus, right? And the thought was, 
the thought seemed to be that if you were good at this, you could somehow convince somebody through that short conversation to give their life to Jesus and to say that little prayer, and, and that was what you were supposed to do. And I don't know about you, I mean, you can probably tell by how I'm talking about this, but I never felt comfortable with that. I was never good at it. And I wonder if that kind of notion of being a witness isn't actually helpful to what Jesus is talking about here. Because that, sort of, to me, sounds like we're trying to convince somebody. We're trying to like, almost you know, use good argumentation to convince somebody to do something that maybe they don't want to do. Whereas when we think about witnesses in another sense, maybe in a legal sense, what you are doing as a witness is telling their story. It's not up to the witness to come up with a compelling, uh, a compelling story or a compelling argument. Rather, they're just telling what their experience is and was. And when somebody follows up and says, can you tell me more about that? Or, I'd let, or can you clarify this or that? They respond. It's conversational. It's responsive. It, it is something that feels a little bit more natural. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus teaches his followers that they shouldn't worry about what they have to say when they are, when they are called into question for their faith. But rather, they should be relying on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will give them the words when the words are necessary. See, to be a witness is to be a willing part of a conversation, a conversation with our friends, with our coworkers, with our family, with our neighbors, and relying on the Holy Spirit to help us share what needs to be said in those moments. Now, our final point this morning is that we have tunnel vision when we get distracted from our mission. Now, one of the things that we talked about last week was, uh, was about how, for some of us, we really want to know what to expect, right? We, we would, it would be helpful if we knew details about what to expect. And as we talked about the new heavens and the new earth last week, some of you might be saying, hey, this is great and all, but when is this going to happen? And I think that's the question that Jesus' disciples are asking here. Jesus, we're hearing you talk about the kingdom, you know, and, and you know, they're, they're, they're still trying to wrap their heads around that, but when is this going to happen? Is this happening now? Is that, is that what's happening? Is this happening now? And so they want to know what to expect. It's a reasonable question, really. But in response, Jesus tells them, hey, you know what? God knows the timing of this. The Father knows, but it's not for you to know. And I don't think that this is just Jesus brushing them off, meaning like, guys, this is none of your business, forget about it. I think the reason why Jesus gives this response is because he understands that this could be a source of distraction for his followers. That speculation can lead to, to, to forgetting the mission that they'd been given to go and take the message of the kingdom to those who are in Judea, Samaria, and across the world. To be witnesses. And so this is why Jesus pivots in his response. He's not talking about the timing anymore. He's talking about the Holy Spirit empowering his followers to be witnesses. He wants them to focus on the task at hand. You know, as followers of Jesus, folks, there's a lot of things that can consume our, uh, our focus. And not all of them are bad. Many of them are really good things. Things that are not, you know, bad for us as followers of Jesus to be engaged in. It's but we have to be careful that we don't allow our, our minds to become so occupied, our ideas, our dreams, our ambitions to become so focused on these good things that we lose sight on what our mission is as followers of Jesus because Jesus wants us to stay focused on our kingdom mission. And we don't have to, you know, we don't have to be engaged in ministry as a profession to be engaged in kingdom mission. 
Rather, the reality of the Spirit being with us is the Holy Spirit transforms ordinary moments into extraordinary moments, into opportunities for the kingdom to grow. Moments uh, where generosity can be practiced. Moments where, where love can be shared. Moments where justice can be advocated for, where comfort can be given. The Spirit is at work in ordinary moments and transforms them into moments where the kingdom can grow. And we can miss out on these moments if we let other things capture our attention. And so one of the things that the Spirit does is the Spirit helps us keep mission in mind. Now this morning as we, we conclude the teaching time, uh, I, there's three things that, that I, want to, I want to just kind of end with that I think uh, will, will keep us thinking about what we've talked about here this morning. And the first is that next week we have a guest speaker. We have Trevor Maine. Some of us know Trevor Maine quite well. You heard about that guy? No, no idea. All right, it's his dad. Uh, Trevor, Trevor Maine, who's coming from BIC Global, he's going to come. And we've asked Trevor to come and specifically talk about uh, how we as a local BIC church are connected to the work the BIC, the BIC is doing in places that are far away from here. And to connect the dots that, you know, our, our vision of who we are as a church is not just about us here in this place, but we recognize that the BIC is doing good work across the world and that we are connected to that. And so that is one opportunity for us to be growing in our awareness of what God is doing and to expand our view and our focus. The second thing is, you know, this morning we've talked a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that for some, some of us, the Holy Spirit's kind of confusing. I mean, you don't know much about him. We got questions. What does he do? What is he about? You know, what, how does he relate to us as a follower of Jesus? And we know that this can be confusing to some folks. And so after Trevor speaks, the weeks following that, we're going to talk about Pentecost. And then we have three weeks after that set aside to discuss the Holy Spirit. And in those, in those uh, weeks, we have two weeks that are all about engaging questions that we might have about the Holy Spirit. And so if this morning you found yourself thinking like, okay, we've talked about the Holy Spirit a whole lot, but I've got questions. Perfect. We need those questions. And in the email that goes out on Wednesday mornings, starting this week, or on our blog as of Wednesday morning, you will find a form there where you can submit your questions about the Holy Spirit and I'm, I'm hoping that we can make good use of those questions in our, our teaching time as we grow in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives, how does the Holy Spirit empower us to be on mission for Jesus. And so please uh, be thinking about that. If no questions are coming to mind just yet, that's okay. I'm hoping that the first next couple of weeks of teaching when we talk about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit will also uh, get us kind of thinking and maybe some questions will get generated there. The last thing is just to recognize that this week we got a lot of stuff on our plates. We've got things that we want to do, things that we need to do, things that are demanding our attention, and many of those things are good things. And, but I'm going to invite us that before we, get, we rush headlong into this week, that we pause and we say, Holy Spirit, help me to have a Jesus approach, a Jesus-like approach to, to what I'm about to do. And saying a prayer like that, I mean, I think the wording of this prayer is a little bit awkward perhaps, but make it your own, okay? Um, including a prayer like that will help us to expand our vision of what the kingdom is all about and what our role in it. 
that perhaps this week we will, you know, find ourselves being willing to be interrupted at work in order to be present with somebody else, present with somebody who needs it. Or maybe it will inspire an act of generosity that we might have otherwise overlooked. Or maybe we will find ourselves giving words of encouragement to somebody who's feeling discouraged. But basically, we're just talking about, you know, pausing and saying, God, help me to see a little bit more than what I normally see in, a day to, in, a, in my day-to-day life. And help me to be able to engage life in a way that is spirit-led, that is on mission for the kingdom. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for, thank you for today. And we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to, to worship and to, and to think about what it is you're calling us to. Lord, in those, we confess that, uh, that as just human beings, we often have tunnel vision and we can get stuck fixated on, on life being a certain way and we can ignore some other things that, that could be truly good and enriching. And so, God, we pray that you would gently expand our vision particularly in our understanding of what it is that you are doing and who you want us to be in relationship with and and how we can be engaged in your mission to bring the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, give us dreams, give us ambitions, Lord. Help us just to, to see life differently this week. And, Lord, help us just to, to be aware of how you are with us through the Holy Spirit And in those moments that are hard, Lord, help us to be listening and to be aware of how you are with us and how the Spirit is helping us. In your name we pray. Amen. Yes, Jen, I'm going to my announcement piece of paper.